listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. And the Bible tells us that we, just like that little boat that got lost, have got lost to God, but God wants to win us back. In Romans 3, verse 11 to 12, it tells us about this lost state that we're in. And it tells us, and to read it together, no one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. No, not a single one. This is written from God's perspective as he looks at humanity. All have turned away. No one is truly wise. All have turned away. No one has actually sought for God. And the Bible tells us in our turning away from God that we became useless. We become of no intrinsic value. We lose our value because we lose the image of God that we were made to reflect. And the Bible tells us that this state that we find ourselves in, and every human being finds himself in this state, there is a separation from God. There is no one who seeks God, no one who see, who's truly, no one who does good. Isn't that a profound thought? No one who does good. Now, as I say that, many, many of us are thinking, I do some good. I mean, I'm not that bad. I mean, there's some bad people on the planet, and I think I'm on the better half of the spectrum. But the Bible tells us from God's perspective that no one is good. No one does good. And so I want to dig into that because we need to understand the rescue mission. And and the rescue mission is to try and save what was lost. If there's no one who does good, uh, we have a problem. No one, not a single one. So the Bible tells us that that state of no one doing good from God's perspective is what the Bible calls sin. It's a a Greek word. It means hamartia. It literally means to miss the mark, to miss the standard that God is, the holy standard that he is. And to illustrate that from God's perspective, I want to dig into this a little bit because it means that we do bad things, we, we think bad thoughts, and we all have selfish motives. And so maybe a question to try and make that, to break that down for us. Um, have you ever been angry with someone? You're driving on the freeway and or you may be sitting in a long queue of cars and someone cuts in and nearly crashes your car and you're like, ah, what are you doing? You fool. Have you ever felt like that? <laughs> yeah. Even the kids are laughing. Like, yeah, we've done that. <laughs> we've done that. You see, the standard of God is perfection, and we don't think that that's so bad. But to God, that that we've just done is horrific. And I want us to show why, according to the Bible. Many of you, we would agree that murder is bad. Has anyone here murdered anyone? I've done bad things. I've not done that. And so, in a sense, I feel like when it comes to humanity, well, bad people that murder deserve to be punished. Would you agree? They should be locked away because they're doing damage to other people. So the Bible and Jesus talks about this, and he starts to try and show us God's standard, not human standard. And so in Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22, Jesus is explaining this difference between the standard of God and the standard of man. And he says this, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. 
If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. In other words, in human perspective, in humanity, if you murder, there is a judgment that we all will become under, right? If you catch you, you're going to come under judgment. But I say, this is God, from God's perspective, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And you think, whoa, whoa, he's just compared anger with murder. If you call someone an idiot, ever done that? You're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger. But if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. The Bible says, if anyone, or my translation, if anyone says, you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. In other words, from a human perspective, murder is bad. But from God's perspective, even anger at a brother, another person, is as bad as murder. And if you had to say to someone, you fool, it's from God's perspective as though you've actually committed murder, you've killed them. And you think, whoa, why? And the reason is because God is perfect. He's not like us. He's perfect in all his ways. He is righteous in the sense that everything that he does. And so God never has those kind of inklings of the heart. God never does those things. And so again, Jesus compares our anger to actually murdering someone because inside there is an inner desire of frustration that this person has messed with my rights and I somehow want them to pay. And so while the, the, the gravity or the weight of it might not be as much, God is perfect. And so even to say you fool is the equivalent of murdering someone. In Hebrews 4.12 and another place, the Bible speaks about God will judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. The thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. You see, God is perfect in all of his ways and none of us are. We've all messed up. No one is righteous. There's no one that does truly good from God's perspective. And so the bad news, of before we get to the good news is that humanity is in a lot of trouble because when we come before God who's holy, who who judges, we all have fallen short of this glory. We've all not reflected who God is. We've all messed up. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, I won't turn there, but if you even look at a person with lust, it's as though you've you've committed adultery with them. It's as though you've taken them and physically used them for your own selfish gain. Now, The warning here is that if we've done these things, we deserve judgment. And I want us to see why we deserve judgment because it feels like, whoa, it's pretty intense that we're going to be facing the fires of hell because we've said, you fool, because we've been angry. And so would you agree that a good judge must judge rightly? Would you agree with me? Maybe to illustrate, let's say uh, somebody broke into your, ho- your home and tied you up if you're the, the husband or the father and uh, did terrible things to your wife and uh, killed your children and walked out of the smoke on his face. A few weeks later, maybe he's caught and the trial comes up and you go to trial and the judge is going to make judgment upon the case. What would you say? If the judge said, you know what, I'm feeling like I'm really in a merciful mood today. I'm going to let you off. What would you say? When you've lost everything, 
the pain would be unbearable. The sense of injustice would be so wrong. And so God must judge. And in this story, please understand, you and I are not the father feeling the injustice of the other person. You and I are the person that's done the injustice. Because we've all said, you fool. Because we've all murdered according to Jesus. Because we've all, with our eyes, taken things from another person that was not ours to take and used human selfishly for our own desires, our own pleasures. So that's the bad news. Why did God become a man? Because he lost us. He lost us to this thing called sin. But God loved us even in spite of that. And so the good news, while we celebrate, while we sing about the amazing God who came to save, is that God actually came to save us. And again, we we look at this picture of baby Jesus, but Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. And maybe to illustrate how he would save a true story again of a, in South Africa in 1935, there was a pastor called Stanford Mgachi. And he had just finished school. He became a pastor late. He'd finished his studies and he was a teacher. And in his first post in a place called Elwell North Higher Mission School, he arrived at the school, first post, first day. And the headmaster called him in and said, I've got really bad news for you. The class that you're going to look after is like the worst class I've ever seen, ever. Like the last teacher resigned because of this class. And you're a rookie. You don't know anything. And so uh, Stanford felt that he he would maybe find a way to get to these kids. So he arrived in the class and there was this rowdy bunch. And uh, he started off with a very clever thing. He said this, I want to let you know, kids, that I'm your teacher but actually, I need help to teach you. I need your help to do this class properly. And the children were like, what? He said, we need rules to properly conduct class. And so what I want to ask is, what rules should we have in our class to conduct a good class? And so Tom is the naughtiest kid in the class. He's like the, 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 the leader of the, of, the, of the rebels. And Tom is the biggest kid as well, shouts out, no stealing. Teacher goes to the board and writes down, no stealing. Somebody else shouts out, everyone must come on time to class. And so he writes that down. Eventually he gets to 10, figures 10's good. God gave 10, he would stop at 10. And uh, he says, okay, to the kids, okay, so a law has no, a law is no good unless there's a penalty attached. What penalty should there be for someone who breaks our rules? And Tom, again, probably not thinking this through properly, Shouts out, 10 strokes on the bare back as hard as you can with a rod. And all the kids are like, yeah, that's a great idea. So the penalty is there. And the teacher, Stanford kind of starts class. And the first day goes quite well. Second day, just before break, when the children go out and have their lunch, uh, Tom, the big kid, lifts his hand and says, teacher, someone stole my lunch. Well... Stanford says, okay, no one goes out. I want to look in all of your bags. And as he goes through the bags, he finds in, a, in the bags of a young boy called Jim. Jim is a, the smallest, the, the thinnest child in the class. He finds Tom's lunch. He realizes I have to punish him. If I don't now on the first offense bring the punishment, I'm going to lose this class. 
And so he calls Jim out to the front and Jim's got this large coat tied up to, buttoned up to the top and Stanford says to him, Jim, you need to take your coat off. As he unbuttons his coat, he's got no shirt on and his pants are held up with string. Stanford says to him, Jim, where's your shirt? Jim says, teacher, my father died working on the mines in South Africa and my mom is bringing up myself and my brother on her own. We're very poor. I only have one shirt and today my shirt's being washed. So I'm wearing my brother's jacket to school. At this point, it becomes clear why he's stolen food because there is no food. And so Stanford is now feeling absolutely terrible as a teacher. Like, what do I do? He realizes that he must punish sin because if he doesn't do it, he's going to lose the class. But as he's about to begin meeting out the punishment, Tom, the one whose food was stolen, the biggest kid in the class, lifts his hand and says, teacher, teacher, can I take his punishment? It's a true story. Teacher says, you can. And so Tom comes out. And on the fifth stroke on his back, the rod breaks. He's crying. The kids are crying. And little Jim runs up to the front, throws his arms around Tom and says, I'm so sorry that I stole your lunch. I'll never steal again. And I love you until I die. In this picture, this is a true story that happened in Africa, Southern Africa. But in this picture, we are the ones who need to be saved. And Jesus is the one who comes to pay the price that we should pay because we are the murderers. We are the rapists. We are the ones who do these terrible things. And so he, Jesus, comes as a baby to live his life and to take our place, to take our punishment. In Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6, The Bible tells us, yet it was our weakness he carried. This is Jesus carrying our weakness. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. The Christmas story is the greatest story in history because God came to pay a price, a terrible price, the price for the sins of the whole world. And so the Christmas story is really God offering a gift to everyone, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, verse 6 and 7, For while or when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But Christ demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to die. He came to reconcile the world to himself. And so how do we receive 
this gift that God is offering to everyone. Because please understand, if there was any other way to get right with God, he would not have come and lived as a baby. He would not have come to the earth. And he certainly would not, the God of the universe would not have been crucified and died the way he did. If there was any other way by which he could save the world, a just God must punish sin. And he came to pay the price. How do, we, how do we receive this? And the Bible tells us that we firstly need to confess that we need him. We confess that we need his forgiveness. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We need to be able to say to God, God, I realize what I've done. I realize actually how I've fallen short. How, and, I, and I confess to you that I need forgiveness. Second thing we need to do is repent. Repent means to turn away from the way you've been living and turn towards God. I love what little Jim did, running up, throwing his arms around Tom when he realizes the price Tom had paid and said, I'll never steal again. And this is what repentance is. It's saying, God, I want to live for you now. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be reconciled with you. And lastly, we need to believe. We need to believe because if we don't believe, when judgment day comes, we will not have confidence to come into his presence. In John 3, verse 16 and 17, my last scripture, for God, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have the gift of eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. God makes an offer. And Christmas is a reminder of that offer, that God came to save you and me because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all turned away. There's no one who does good from his perspective. And without believing and accepting what he's given us, Jesus told us we will then face the consequence of our actions, which is judgment and the fires of hell. If we will not let him pay the price, then the price falls upon us. And so we turn to him and we believe and we turn from our sins and we offer ourselves to him because God is reconciling our relationship to him so that we can know him and that he can be close to us. God loves us and wants to be with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to be closer to us than the air we breathe. And so in closing, what I want to do is I want to give you the opportunity to receive this gift. Confess, Lord, I need forgiveness. Because maybe this morning you've realized, or this afternoon you've realized, oh my goodness, I am one of those. I'm a human being and I've turned away. I actually haven't met God's perfect standard. I deserve to be judged because from a perfect standard, I'm the murderer. I'm the rapist. I'm the one who does terrible things. But God, would you forgive me? And the Bible says if we confess our need of him, he will forgive us in a moment. And the punishment falls on him and we walk free in repentance 
turning to him and saying, I want to live for you. I want to love you. I want to know you. And so I wonder if you close your eyes and bow your heads with me in this moment. But I do want to give an opportunity because this was very expensive. The Christmas story was extremely expensive for God. He came to seek and save what was lost. He came to die for us, to face the punishment that we deserve. So that, and if we will confess our need of him, he will forgive us. He will bear the brunt of what we've done. And we will walk free from the consequence of our actions and be reconciled to him. No longer separated from him because of our sin, but now joined back to him through faith. And if you hear this this evening and you haven't ever experienced this, you've never confessed your need of him, you've never repented, you've never fully understood this, but you realize today, actually, Lord, I, I, I need forgiveness. I need, I want to confess that I need you. And so if that is you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to respond to God. And acknowledge that you need forgiveness just by lifting your hands. I won't call you to the front, but I will pray with you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? This is the gift of God. Thank you. This is what God came to do, to save what was lost. I'm going to give one last opportunity. Just, man... There is no other way, the Bible says. This was the way that we would be saved. Anyone else? Let me pray with you. And especially those that responded. And maybe for all of us, because actually we have much to be grateful for. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you came as a baby. You came as a man to seek and save what was lost. And we confess today that we were lost. I was lost. We've not met your perfect standard. We all have turned away. We've all become worthless. But you loved us in spite of that. And you came on a rescue mission to seek and save a world that you love. To seek and save me and every single person here. Father, I pray today as we confess our need of you, that you would forgive us of our sins. We turn to you, Lord. We say, Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy you've shown to us. From this day onward, Lord, we want to live for you and for your glory. I pray today, Father, that as we celebrate Christmas and we should give gifts to family members and those that we love, we will remember the great gift you gave, the gift of salvation to all who would believe that we would be saved and reconciled to you through the death of your beloved Son who came not to judge us, but to save us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.